0: Welcome to the Training Industry Podcast, the most trusted source of information on the business of learning. Hi everyone, this is Taryn Aish, editor at trainingindustry.com. Welcome to the second episode of the Training Industry Podcast. Here at Training Industry, we've designated March Women's Leadership Month, and we're celebrating with a series of great content, including some brand new research and today's podcast episode. I am very excited to be speaking today with Joanna Barsh. Joanna is a Director Emerita and Senior Advisor for McKinsey & Company, Co-Chair of the Leadership Working Group of the International Council on Women's Business Leadership, and President of the Center Leadership Project, whose goal is to help develop women leaders. She is the co-author of How Remarkable Women Lead, The Breakthrough Model for Work and Life, and the author of the 2017 book, Grow Wherever You Work, Straight Talk to Help with Your Toughest Challenges. Joanna received the Girl Scouts Council Woman of Distinction Award and was a Baker Scholar at Harvard Business School. Joanna, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Every day in March is a fantastic celebration of women. Absolutely. We'll get that conversation started in just a minute after this.
0: As a training professional, your job is to effectively manage the business of learning. You probably listened to this podcast to gain insights on L&D trends being used by some of the most innovative thought leaders in our market. But did you know that Training Industry also provides data-driven analysis and best practices through our premium research reports? Our entire catalog, including reports on topics such as Deconstructing 70 2010, women's access to leadership development, learner preferences, and the state of the training market, just to name a few, can be found at trainingindustry.com slash Shop Research. New insights create new ways for LD to do business. Let Training Industry Research Reports assist you in taking your learning initiatives to new heights. Go to trainingindustry.com slash shopresearch to view our entire catalog. So just to start out, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and your career
1: and how you kind of got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, My uh, full career was at McKinsey & Company, where I retired as a senior partner after having spent 32 years with the firm Uh, in 2013. I left, and since then, I've been an author, a speaker, a writer, a presenter, a teacher, and um, a bottle washer. All right, and uh, what are you working on now? So now I've been teaching men and women uh, for years now, uh, starting with with women and teaching them uh, about leadership that would help unlock their potential. As I continued to do that, I noticed that particularly younger professionals had a harder time accessing uh, the deep experiences that are required for you to grow as a leader. And in consequence, I did a lot of research in 2015 around younger professionals, people under the age of 40, men and women. Uh, And what I found is that they want more concrete actions, they want training that really attends to their specific challenges. So right now, I am taking the book that came out of that research, Grow Wherever You Work, and turning it into a series of workshops, each one addressing a specific challenge. And at the same time, just to make things complicated, I'm also doing brand new research on uh, advancing women at work. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that research? It sounds interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I, you, you know, I'm almost 65, Taryn, and I am fed up with how long it has taken us to get this far. If you were to look Uh, and I'm sure you've done that, if you look at women at work since the early 1970s, you see tremendous success on the part of women uh, finishing degrees, entering workplaces, moving into middle management, even steadily moving up the line. Although if you look at the total picture, of course, we're still so far short of uh, any kind of goal, be it parity or even uh, a major critical mass representation at the top. So having looked at that, and I've done research about women at work in 2011, 2012, 2013, I've attended the Makers Conference each year and updated our information around how women are faring at work, and I, and I uh, got to a point, actually a few months ago, where I thought this is it. I have nothing to lose here and everything to gain By getting on honest conversations going about why women are not making it to the top, what's holding them back, and in addition, what are companies doing that's actually moving the needle? I thought I could do those interviews because I'm no longer affiliated with any company. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything, and at the same time, I've seen it for years and years and years, so I can, if you. I can, I can still be snowed, but I can also call out bullshit when it happens. Now, I've started those interviews. My goal is 50 companies, uh, two interviews at each company, a senior business leader, a senior HR leader, so that we can also understand if HR is in chains, uh, and struggling to do the right thing, but the business is holding HR back, or if HR and, and the business are not seeing eye to eye, I can point that out as well. My goal is to help these companies uh, and uh, and to help HR. So I'm excited. it It won't be it won't be ready till the fall, but when it's ready, I think it's going to be breakthrough.
0: That's really great. I'm excited to to see how that how that goes. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm you're going to be on my short list of who to, who to share it with. Perfect. Thanks. Um, so I, I mentioned when I was introducing you about your, uh, your project, uh, the Centered Leadership
1: Project. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, you, you don't have to take you back to uh, when I was just uh, 50 years old, uh, because it was in that year that I had an epiphany, and I I know everybody who's listening is going to think that, sure, Joanna was uh, going through midlife crisis, and maybe I was, but one day, I woke up, and I looked at my life, uh, and I I almost remember the date. It was uh, in the late spring, and I uh, thought about my job, which I really like, and my husband, who I'd been married to for years and years and still love. My two beautiful daughters, my beautiful apartment, my farm, everything was perfect. And on paper, this looks like uh, a woman of privilege who's just complaining about uh, nothing. But actually, I woke up that day and I felt empty. I had a truly awful feeling that somehow I was either living the wrong life or had not Taken advantage of all the opportunities that had been given to me, and it was because I was missing something. And I did not know what I was missing, so I went on a journey around the world to talk to women who had made it to the top. They were CEOs, heads of university, major actors or artists, uh, scientists who discovered things you name it and asked these women all about their defining moments, how they led. What propelled them to the top? And that's centered leadership. That's what came out of it. The strengths of these women were awesome. Uh, they had meaning in their life. They had it at work as well as at home. They were able to steer their companies through terrible turbulence and do it with an eye towards learning and opportunity. They were highly connected, trusting in most of the people in their company and in their environment and making the best of that trust. Uh, They truly were community builders. They took risk. They had total ownership for what was going on in their company or their organization. And they took action. And finally, they understood at some level that energy is what leaders need to bring to an organization. And they brought it through positive emotion. So they brought love and joy and contentment and happiness and play into the work environment, even in tough times. And for that reason, they were able to stimulate innovation and creativity. When you put those five capabilities together, I realized that these were five capabilities that that took a good leader and made her, or as it turns out, him- Truly remarkable, truly able to lead through times of great change and uncertainty like today. And so we coined the name Centered Leadership. Maybe we could have come up with something different, but that's what it turned out to be. And we began to teach it in 2008. First, within McKinsey, to all of the women in North America, and then all of the women around the world who said, We want to be trained like that too. And then by 2010, the men were saying, well, why don't we get that training? If it's so good, why do only women get that training? So we began to train the men. And ultimately, we began to train our clients as well. I just got back from Sweden last week, or this week, actually. My jet lag is still with me. And I've been training uh, rising senior leaders uh, who are women in Sweden from many different companies. So it, it... Goes all around the world now. It's truly a phenomenon. And at its core, it's all about being self aware, whichever of the five capabilities you're working on. Therefore, being at choice and taking the tools that we give and practicing them in real time on real challenges so that you actually can live into a better experience. get more out of work.
0: That sounds great. Um, So based on your work with Center Leadership and and your other projects, um, what advice do you have for uh, how learning and development can support more gender-balanced leadership in their
1: organizations? I think there's a tremendous amount that learning and development can do for their organizations and in fact I think your time is coming because it's going to be more and more important. Even as robots take over routine jobs, companies are going to have to attract and retain the best talent if they want to succeed. We can't get rid of the people, therefore we want the best people. And the best people are the people who have great cap- great talent, great raw talent, but then we can train them. We can develop them. And when you think about women, uh, there's a lot that l and d can do. you know the first thing, and it's really uh, been debated uh, these last few months as I've started this research, which is um, unconscious bias. There are a lot of companies who use it, and there are a lot of companies who doubt its effectiveness. So the idea of making it better and helping people understand that we all have bias and that we're not being judged about the bias, we just are Getting it pointed out so we can get rid of it and move on—that's going to unlock a lot of potential. Uh, there's more though that LND can do. For example, um, it's a—it's been researched that people at work, individuals, have much more control than they think they have, and so they become passive, waiting for someone else to make decisions for them. LND can do a lot with that to unlock individual potential by helping people understand what the mindsets that they hold individually are doing, whether it's fear or it's uh, a striving for perfection or it's a competitive spirit that's out of control. Those are all mindsets and training can help you become aware of your own mindsets and how they serve you and how they limit you. So that's another thing that uh, L&D could do. And, And I guess my final thought is there's a lot of talk about sponsorship and mentorship these days. Uh, But I am hearing from senior leaders right through to the CEO that they really don't know what that means. They don't know how to do it well, particularly when it comes to mentoring and sponsoring women. Given the Me Too movement, that is really a tough issue because we're seeing a backlash now with, with senior men not wanting to be alone with women for fear that it would be misread or they would be misrepresented. So training senior executives about being great mentors and sponsors of women, I think, is a third fabulous opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. I'm excited to, to see what kinds of um, programs organizations come up with to kind of help men overcome those, those kinds of anxieties, I guess you could say. Um, so, uh, what are some of the common myths that you've seen about women's leadership
1: development? <laughs> yeah, there, are so you know that goes back to these mindset. There's so many myths, uh, but let's start with uh, the one that there must be something wrong with these women if they're not advancing up the pipeline, and so let's develop them and fix what's wrong with them. So, uh, one one myth is fix the women. And in fact, having trained hundreds, if not thousands, of women all around the world uh, in you know one hour, one day, half day, three day, five day workshops, I can honestly say that these women are pretty terrific. And it's not about fixing them; it's about unleashing them. It's about it's not about finding their voice; it's about empowering them to use the voice they have. And so that's that's one thing uh, many companies uh, struggle with the idea of women only training for example because they believe that it must be remedial if there are only women in it it can't be that important that's another myth because of course women tend to be uh, the the subordinate group in most organizations and so uh, if men are not in the training how important could it be there's also a fear. Uh, that companies have, if they just put the resources into training women, that there will be a male backlash. And we've seen evidence that there is male backlash in companies where uh, men who are not succeeding lash out against the quote-unquote weaker group, which would be women and often people of color. So if you look at it that way, you can see why companies struggle with putting the money against uh, training women as a group. Uh, I think all of that is a myth uh, because uh, there's an uneven playing field. So the strongest companies that want women to succeed know how to handle male backlash, and they do a pretty good job of it. There are many women who don't want to take women-only training, and that should be fine too. It shouldn't be mandatory. But often those women who do enter the training, as I've experienced it, realize that they've been missing something at work, which is the wonderful community that is created by women when only women are present. And we can talk some more about that if you like. So I think women's training, women's development is all about uh, creating an environment in which difference is valued. And these women are not recreated in the shape of man, They are, in fact, encouraged and inspired to be more of themselves and to be more exposed to the rest of the senior management and therefore get ahead. Yeah, those are all.
0: Those are all really great points. Um, I love what you were saying about uh, the the community of being in a women-only group. I went to a women's college, so that was just music to my ears. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I literally saw it this week because I do uh, struggle in my own mind sometimes about our, is this the right time to bring men into women's training? So that uh, there are certain companies that will put 50% men, 50% women into the training cohort. And I actually think that's a good idea for some companies, particularly where there are enough women that you can do that. Uh, and IKEA is a wonderful, very positive example of of doing that with and not having women's only training. However, what I saw this week, and I've seen it countless times, is that women are able to go very deep into their own mindsets and become very self aware more quickly than most men. And there is a level of safety that they find amongst the group of only women that they will not find with men. And they can talk about uh, power games that happen at work or uh, being a young mother and struggling with fearing that they're not good enough at managing. Uh, they, they're able to talk about their fears in general. They're able to talk about the lack of meaning and their need for inspiration from the other women. Uh, and what they do is, you know, even if you don't even have training and they are able to get together and create this bond, they now have what the men have always had, which is a network of people who will support them, who will help them solve their challenges, who will connect them to the people that they need to uh, meet in order to advance. And also who will just tell them it's okay when they've made a mistake or failed and pick them up and dust them off and give them a hug. Men get that naturally in organizations that are mainly men. And the women feel like the, the odd duck out and so rarely have it. And so if there's one thing that women's leadership development can do, it is to help these women find each other and break down uh, barriers to be uh, to to truly be a collaborative community. Yeah, that's really powerful.
0: Um, all right, so we've talked a little bit about uh, what learning and development can do to support women's leadership development, but um, what? How can they go about identifying the high potential female talent that you know really needs to be in those programs and and kind of nurturing
1: their development? We have to. Uh, take a look at the whole environment uh, and not uh, sort of not um, trick ourselves into cherry picking, thinking that uh, we can make the difference that way. And what I mean by that is the first thing you look at is the talent pipeline. When there are women at the top, There has been research that suggests that the pipeline flows more easily and that women are going to be seen and gain exposure to those at the top because the women at the top, if they're a critical mass, which would mean uh, the research would tell you it's about 30% women at the top, which is certainly not parity, but it's a great start. Uh, So you need that. You need room at the top. The second thing you need is you need a true commitment of the top team to make this happen. So even before you identify the talent, you need to know, really be sure. And how can you be sure only by making diversity a strategic priority and tying it to compensation? Can you be totally sure it's going to happen? I've seen a lot of pledges, and not a lot of those companies are making progress. The The third thing is that the talent processes have to change. And everybody's doing the best they can, so this is not a fault of any HR departments or of any organizations, but there is implicit bias in the talent processes. We know it's there. I've interviewed Shelly Carell of the Clayman Institute at Stanford, who was able to prove it in one company. In particular, and her researchers For example, we're sitting in evaluation meetings and listening to the language and seeing what happened to men versus women, looking at the evaluation reviews and seeing the language in those. And each and every time she said there's stuff happening that works against women, whether it's that they are calibrated against the best man in the room and not against the criteria, which should be on paper, but wasn't whether it's the language that is being used to discuss men versus the language to discuss women. So women are often, for example, called hardworking and determined, whereas men are called geniuses. Just think about it. Which would, which would you like to have <laughs> in, in your organization? Who would you advance, a genius or a really hard worker? Yeah, that's a <laughs> I <mean>, good point. <laughs> pretty obvious. And then what they also found is that certain language – Advantage men, but not women. And other language, advantage women, but not men. Both both are wrong. And, and yet we don't know when we're doing it. It's impossible to know unless you have a third party sitting there or unless you attempt to improve your processes to make them transparent, specific, clear, and fair. And that's a lot of work, to get it from where it is today to that. So the talent process, to even identify these women, can be improved. And then I think also there is a notion of sponsorship that companies understand but are struggling to actually create. People sponsor people simply who look like them and act like them and have the same persona usually because younger men model themselves after the men they admire or feel are powerful. Whereas women look different, particularly women of color, look very different. They behave differently. They don't model the characteristics in the same way. And so they don't get as sponsored as much. And that's a key to advancing uh, and to growing as a woman in an organization. Uh, Clearly, understanding differences amongst people and appreciating that would be important as well. Because often female talent looks and feels different than the male talent. And yet they bring important characteristics, qualities, skills that the company would value if they even thought about it. So we need processes to allow us to appreciate difference and to recognize that when you put a lot of different people together in a team, it's gonna be more inefficient and it's gonna be rougher going because those people are not going to agree right off the bat. And there's going to be some heat, uh, some fireworks, most likely. And that's actually a good thing for companies. So ultimately, I think all of those are, are, are important levers for identifying and nurturing high potential female talent. But then we've got the issue that when women do make it, what do they do? They leave. (laughs) they leave for better opportunities because there aren't that many women who have made it. And so they become pretty exposed and the company is vulnerable rather than hunkering down and saying, well, that's it. We're done. We're not going to advance any women anymore because they keep leaving. Companies actually need to stop and say, how do we change our environment to make it unappealing for the individual to leave? what can we do? Equal pay, that's a great start, but there's more than that. How do we make the environment so that women feel comfortable every day coming to work and that women stick to the organization rather than really not being glued in and often picked off by uh, a, a better opportunity or just a different opportunity where possibly the environment might be better for the woman, so we have to change our environment and we have to be ready to make some changes, even though our formula may have worked in the past. Does that make sense? It does thank you. Now, I realize this is uh, kind
0: of a tricky question for you since you 've talked to so many uh, women leaders around the world, um, but could you tell us about you know just a couple? That you that you really admired and you you think have really done a great job of, um, you know, becoming leaders in their in their industries or
1: in their fields. Sure, that is a hard question. <laughs> I've interviewed two hundred or more women, and they're you know they're all wonderful. And in fact, <laughs> I, I um, wrote a a white paper. Uh, back in 2013, entitled "Can Women Fix Capitalism," and here we are in 2018. And I believe that even more than I believed five years ago, that actually women probably could. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, let's point out Sheryl Sandberg. It, she's a, she's the obvious winner on this contest. But I got to know Sheryl starting in gosh, 2009, I met her, and again, and 11, and again, and 13, and I have nothing but praise for her. She is an amazing individual. She's smarter than almost everybody, totally savvy at this point, and her, she is a congruent leader, meaning that she does, her actions, her behaviors are tightly linked to what she believes and values. And she goes out of her way to help people over and over again. She's helped me in, in, in many important ways. And I treasure that, uh, that friendship, but uh, she, she's also uh, just an extraordinary leader. uh, Look at lean in. And when she started it, she said her goal was a thousand circles and they have over 35,000 circles today in something like 160 countries. So that's big vision. And tremendous execution. And she put her money where her mouth was, which I really, really like about her. Uh, but moving on, uh, there's another woman I, I interviewed who I absolutely adore. And her name is Melody Hobson. She's an African-American woman. She uh, works at Ariel Investment, which is an investment firm. Uh, and I got to interview her for the book Settered Leadership. M- Melody is spunky. Uh, she's open, she's self aware, uh, and her story of f- from poverty to being a very wealthy woman um, is an incredible story that suggests that we can all do this if we unlock our own potential. Uh, Melody is again dedicated to helping women and goes out of her way uh, to help me uh, when. Uh, it's you know she doesn't need to she's, she lives a very glamorous life now on several high profile boards married to a high profile person running a big investment firm but there's Melody continuing to also put her money where her mouth is there's a, a very different kind of woman uh, Terry Kelly who's uh, runs she's the CEO of W L Gore which is an incredible com- company. If, if uh, you haven't seen much about them, you should investigate them. Uh, they have a wonderful environment and community, and they really care about people-centric uh, development uh, and leadership. And I met Terry many, many years ago and found her to be refreshing, honest, direct, straightforward lady who uh rose in a very innovative company and has uh has a tremendous belief in collaboration which and her leadership style shows it because it's a it's a distributed leadership company where anyone can can raise their hand and lead on an idea a project an initiative um and she uh continues to run the company even as it's expanded tremendously she runs it with that very different philosophy and then if you look at um celebrities all of us i think are in awe of of francis mcdormand who just won an oscar for three billboards uh because she, she's a very uh down-to-earth lady but what i truly admire about what uh, she does is, she won an Oscar. Very few women win an Oscar, and the first thing she did was open the floor and share the spotlight with every other woman who was nominated. And that's uh, you would never see a guy doing that. Why waste the two minutes of you know total focus and spotlight that you have? And yet she believed so much in what uh, in this cause. Uh, that she took that opportunity to lead. Um, and I, I, I've i got to say, I wish we, we could all do that uh, because we would accelerate our own progress that much faster. So she's an amazing woman. I met her in the airport once and uh, uh, had a chat with her. And I think she's every bit who she comes across as. So uh, see her movies. <laughs> see what you think. <laughs>
0: Thanks. You know, uh, I, I like to try to be an optimist. And I have to say with all of, there's so many great women leaders out there that, you know, makes it a little bit easier to maintain that optimism.
1: The one the one thing I would add, because we women are fairly judgmental. Uh, and and uh, if you can withhold judgment and understand that every human being is imperfect, there has been research done that says that women actually – Are more critical about other women than they are about men. And it is true that women are held to a higher standard than men. And so that question is loaded. And for anyone listening who's thinking about uh, women role models, I would urge them to realize that we do have a tendency to judge women for not being good enough mothers or not being good enough wives or not being good enough daughters when in fact they're leaders and we would not judge the men in the same way. So watch that uh, very human and natural tendency. And I think you will be surprised to see how many great women leaders rise to the fore. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, um, what's, what,
0: what's next for you, Joanna? What uh, should people be on the lookout for, and
1: how can they learn more about your work? Huh. Thank you for asking that, Taryn. You're welcome. Uh, I am uh, deep into these interviews now. I'm really excited about uh, this new research called Makers on the Frontline, and uh, Makers is a small company that creates videos about uh, women leadership, women leaders who are celebrities or political figures or CEOs or women who have broken the barrier in any number of ways. Uh, And they've also do that, you know, inside companies. So they've connected with me and uh, I'm doing this research on their behalf. But uh, what we will have at the end of it is a hundred in-depth, honest interviews. And I know they're honest because they're both anonymous and confidential. So nobody has a reason to uh, try to snow me, although some will try. And I'm sure some will succeed. (laughs) But nonetheless, I am looking for what are the ideas that are being implemented today that really are working. They're not going to be employee resource groups, which are wonderful, but they don't help women advance. And we need to just look for the truth, be honest with ourselves. And so those companies that say, you know what, this is not our issue right now. We're trying to uh, improve our profitability and stay in business. I get that. I don't agree that diversity is not their issue. Probably is a core issue for them, which is why they got in the jam in the first place. But nonetheless, I am interested in honest conversations that only help companies. And uh, by the fall, I think we will have done enough interviews that we could truly say, what are we finding that's really radical uh, that, you know, you you might have to do. So i uh, give you an example. We've already found companies splitting top roles into CEO and COO in order to give women and people of color greater opportunity to get to the top. I've found companies that are radically expanding their operating committee or executive committee, again, in order to put new voices at the table. Um, Companies that have uh, removed responsibility and uh, hurt people's wallets because they just didn't think it was important to uh, identify and nurture female talent. Uh, So lots of companies are starting to say enough is enough. We're going to take real action now. To me, 2018 is a year to get unstuck, and I'm pretty positive that that's going to happen. So I'm I'm doing that research, and while I do that research, I'm also speaking at companies. I'm giving workshops and speeches on centered leadership, on advancing women, and on this new book, Grow Wherever You Work, wherever I can, where the company uh, is excited and committed to creating more leaders, uh, and for me, that's you know that's as good as it gets. That that is my mission, and why I think I'm still alive <laughs> at this uh, at this age, which is to accelerate the development of centered leaders all over the world. Uh, and so uh, I've got a couple of trips planned to France and China and uh, the UK back to Sweden, and all over the U.S. Um, you know, I'll pretty much uh, talk to anybody who really cares uh, and is having impact on women. So that's my story in a nutshell. Well,
0: thank you so much, Joanna, for taking the time to talk to us today and, and sharing a little bit of your, your mission and your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks again to our special guest, Joanna Barsh. You can find her on LinkedIn, Twitter, and joannabarsh.net. Don't forget to check out other great content on women's leadership at trainingindustry.com. And until next time, thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at infotrainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.